listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, we are going to be looking at that in just the next few moments. And, and, um, and in these next few weeks, as we get into the first nine verses of Philippians here, these, especially verses 4, four to 9 in, in chapter 4 of Philippians, are oftentimes the most quoted. You will, these will be familiar verses for you if you've been in church for any length of time. Oftentimes these verses are memorized, but you know what often happens? Sadly, these are the least applied. We know it. We memorize it, we can quote it, we can share it with others, but we don't live it. And my prayer is that we will take God's word and we will take it and not just hear it, but we will apply it. That is my prayer, that God would open our hearts, open our eyes to these truths in his word. And this whole series has been about developing the mind of Christ. And that is a work that God does, but we have to be willing to allow that work to happen. We have to say, yes, we need to lean into this. And so I pray that today, even as we look at some super practical ways that this can take place in our lives, that we would walk out of here changed and transformed, set to kind of lean into these these truths here and to see what God can and will do in our lives. Now, all of us here have probably watched on television... Um, maybe it was a movie, maybe it was an actual sporting event. You were watching the big game on TV and they show an excerpt of this. Or some of you have maybe experienced this personally. What I'm talking about, what I'm wondering if you've experienced in one way or, one way or another is a locker room talk. You know when the coach has the team and they're gathered together in the locker room before the big game or at the halftime point of the game or between periods and the coach is giving them this motivational talk and he's telling them to get out there and to give it their all and oftentimes just happen to find a picture of the Rough Riders on, on, on this, you know, and on their locker room talk and I actually watched this locker room talk and it was really good. You know, the, the Corey Chamberlain, their coach, just gave it to them, you know, like let's get out there. He had some some wonderful little catchphrases in there and oftentimes these talks are filled with passion and emotion and it's like let's go at it let's give her heart let's not give up and and some of these speeches and these pep talks I mean there's certain catchphrases that you end up hearing and and whether you saw it on a movie you saw it kind of the excerpt in the big game or maybe you were even sitting in the locker room maybe you've even been a coach and you've said some of these things to your players you know like let's play a full 60 minutes you know fight to the finish don't quit play as a team there's no I in team, after all, you know, and um, go, you know what, it, it's going to take a team effort, everyone doing their part. Be disciplined. Don't take any dumb penalties that's going to hurt you, that's going to hurt the team. Stay positive. Stay focused. Some other lines. Um, let's have fun out there. This is your moment. You know, that's, that's a great one. This is your time. You know, got to bear down. Got to, you know, um, worry about ourselves, not the other team. And, and I watched a few of these motivational talks on, on YouTube this week, and I mean, I, I was ready to march out and, and do something, you know. I mean, it was just like, yes, this is good. You can actually go online. You can even, I, I took a screenshot of this. You can go online, and you can download for a cost some inspirational talks. That's right, for $14.99, you can put on your credit, credit card, and you can download some of the scripts to some, uh, some motivational talks that if you're a coach, you know, that you're wanting to give it to your team, there's a whole bunch of, you know, inspiring kind of quotes and you can even get inspiring t-shirts and all of this kind of thing from 
pregamespeeches.com. So just remember that website if you're at all interested in, in that kind of thing. And I mean, because people want to be motivated. And, and, you know, even for me, from my extensive career of coaching um, kids soccer and flag football, um, I mean, y- you want to pump up your team. You want to give them something. And so my slogan with the kids, whether it was, from soccer, w- was for soccer or for flag football, was this. Kids, what are we about? And they go, winning is everything. And, and, and they would, you know, I mean, p- parents would hear that and they're thinking, boy, this guy is just amped up on winning, you know. But then I'd say to them, but what else? And then, then they say, we're going to win at winning, we're going to win at losing. You know what, we're going to win either way. We're going to be good winners, we're going to win well, and we're going to also lose well. And so, so but in, in that little chant before they took the field, it was like, one, two, three, winning is everything! You know, they would yell that and, and uh, you know, and, and I'm sure it was seen as maybe kind of cocky and arrogant, especially when we uh, lost. Um, you know, but, but still trying to instill this w- within our kids. Well, in Philippians chapter 4, where we're heading here this morning, Paul is bringing his letter to his dear friends, the Philippian church, to a close. And that we're, we're coming into the home stretch, the last chapter. And, and so he's giving them this locker room talk. He's kind of just laying it out there for them. And and, and these are people who are down. I mean, it's halftime and they're losing. They're discouraged. They're wondering, are they going to make it? It's a tough go for them as trying to, to live as, as, as Christians. The church is undergoing some persecution. Paul is in prison himself as he's writing this letter to them. And they know that, that, that it's, it's, it's tough slugging. Because in those days to be a Christian, oftentimes it meant that you were going to be ostracized. You were going to be persecuted. It was going to be difficult. And in the five verses we're going to look at today, the first five verses, he's calling them to three things. He's calling them to stand firm, to agree together, and to also rejoice. And you can write these down. I think um, we're going to have them right there on the screen for you. Perfect. Stand firm. Leave some space uh, between that though. And then get along with others and rejoice. And this is what he's calling them to do. And, and these are some great statements. And, 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 and he, he writes here. He's you know, probably dictating it to someone. And they're writing it down. And he's filled with a bunch of passion here as, as he's, he's writing this. Just the way that the inflection goes in, in this in the original Greek would, would say he's pretty amped up when he's, he's, he's telling them this. And so he's kind of let, let's get after it. Yeah, let's go. Let's get after it. And so, I mean... These kind of principles, standing firm, work as a team, keep a winning attitude kind of thing, that, that's right out of a, a, a coaching, you know, maybe that's in the $14.99 package you can buy because that's really motivational and, and, and can be really helpful. However, if you do these three things in your own strength, it's going to be limited. You need to go to the unlimited power source in order to stand firm, in order to get along with others, and to rejoice. And that is why in each one of these statements, Paul just doesn't leave it to stand firm on your own power, your own strength. Get along with others in your own strength, or, in, or, or to be, have a rejoicing spirit, because that, that is, power source is limited. Paul is calling them to stand firm, and you'll see this in the passage as we get into it, in the Lord. Get along with others in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And go lean into his unlimited power source. And so, first of all, the first one we're going to look at is stand firm in the Lord. And in, in verse 1, Paul is telling them, he said, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm 
thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now these were very dear people to Paul. He loved them. He cared for them very much. They loved and they cared for Paul very much. And he wanted the absolute best for them. He didn't want them just to kind of go through the spiritual motions. He didn't want to see them struggling. He wanted them to really draw the strength and the power from the Lord. And so he's saying, stand firm in the Lord. And I think, actually, the next screen, Jean-Luc, if you can just put in there. There we go. So we have the in the Lord part in there. That's perfect. And and these were dear people to, to Paul. And he calls them to stand firm, not in their own power, not in their own strength, but in the Lord's strength. And there are situations that you will face, that you face this week, that you will face this next week, and for the rest of your lives, situations that you will face that will weaken you, will discourage you, and in your own power, you're wiped, you're done, you won't be able to go on. That's why we need to lean into the Lord, realizing, God, I can't do it, but God, you can do it. Notice in the ESV, the the translation that we use when it comes to... um, comes to preaching here at, at Harvest. Notice that word, and, and I kind of laughed when I was reading. I was thinking, why did they throw that word thus in there? You know, I mean, that, that sounds kind of King James, you know, and, and everything. Why did they throw that extra word in there? Stand firm thus in the Lord. I mean, why don't they just say stand firm in the Lord? Why do you say thus? What does thus mean? Well, underline that word thus or write down the word thus because the word thus actually means forward progress. It means get moving. It's kind of get to it. It doesn't mean just, you know, stand firm in the Lord. No, it's stand firm and get after it. Stand firm, let's get going. Stand firm, let's get, get moving in, in our walk with the Lord. Take new territory in our lives spiritually. Trust him for greater and bigger things in our lives. And so he tells them, he says, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm thus, moving it forward. Second of all, never give up. You never give up by getting along with others in the Lord. Never give up. And this is going to be so tough. These next two things, well, all of these are tough in our own power and our strength. But in the Lord, there is help. Look at in verse 2. I entreat you, 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 can I even say it now? Eodia and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, as this letter was being read, Some of the people may have been just drifting off a little bit, like some of you might be doing right now, and just, you know, mind going somewhere else. And um, and, and maybe someone was yawning, and someone was drifting a little bit, and just saying, okay, is this letter going to be over soon? You know, got got things to do. But soon as he would have said these two names, Eodia and Syntyche, it would have been eyeballs open. It's just like, this just got interesting. This is going to... He's singling out these two women. And I mean, usually Paul doesn't do this. This must have been something pretty serious. And so he's, he's calling out these women and he's saying, agree together in the Lord. He's calling them out. And then he's even calling for the church to come alongside and help them. And, and so what do we know about these ladies? I mean, this is all of a sudden, woohoo! what's going on here? Like, you know, I, and, and I'm sure these ladies, as this letter's being read, it would have their faces would have turned red. It's just like, why is he calling us out? What's going on here? Must be serious. 
Well, what we know about them is that they were genuine believers who labored together in the gospel with Paul and within the church. They were committed. They were hardworking people within the church. But these two women somehow had a bit of a falling out. That happens, right? Between women? Yeah, of course they have falling out, right? Men. Yeah, men have falling out at, from time to time. Sometimes men and women have falling out from time to time, correct? Are we right in this? Yeah, they had some kind of a falling out. And it even shows us that, I mean, and this was important enough news that how many miles Paul's hundred miles, hundreds of miles away in prison, he gets news of this and he's concerned about it and so he writes to them and this letter gets sent, takes a number of weeks, but he, he, he believes it's important enough to single them out and say, women, come on, get along, agree together in the Lord. You can't have this kind of disunity. It's, it's damaging not only to your joy, it's damaging to the church. And, and, and we don't even know what the issue is. It probably wasn't even doctrinal, because if it would have been doctrinal, he probably would have packed a few punches on the doctrinal side of it. But instead, it was probably some kind of a disagreement that, that probably started out rather trivial, because you know what? Most disagreements, don't they start out rather trivial? Remember at the start of the series, we talked about a church in the, in the States. This was a number of years ago that a, had a huge church split. And what was it over? Because one of the elders in the church... What did he get? Do you, anyone remember? A smaller piece of ham at a church supper than the kids sitting next to him. And that started a huge church fight, started a huge church split, and, and it became ugly, got in the media and everything like that. Sometimes the biggest issues are over trivial things. But for some reason, they got their noses out of joint, sides were being drawn, and so Paul is saying, you women, you need to agree together. And the church, you need to help them. And you know what? Most conflicts that we have in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in Little League soccer, whatever it might be, could quickly and easily be resolved by the wise counsel from the Walt Disney movie, Frozen. Let it go. Just let it go. But so oftentimes, these issues and the things that come up boil down to one word, and that is pride. It's my pride and it's that person's pride. It's their point of view and my point of view. And so oftentimes it comes down to our reputation, which is pride. It's about being right and proving them wrong, which is pride. It's about preferences, about agendas. It's about my own plans and their plans. Pride, 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 pride. Here's a statement, I encourage you to write it down and, and do some thinking on this because it has caused me over the last number of weeks as, as I came up, upon this, actually I think it was a number, year and a half ago I first heard this statement and found it in my notes somewhere and, and it goes like this, if you are wrong in the way that you are right, you are wrong even if you are right. We have that quote, you can just put that up there please. If you are wrong in the way that you are right, you are wrong even if you are right. Think about that. We can be so determined to do the right, or, or to be right, that we do it in the wrong way. And even though we're right, we're wrong. Because it leaves a trail of destruction. We do that in the home. Think of the silly arguments that, or discussions you may have had with your children or with another family member this week because it was more about being right than it was about 
unity. He was like, I got to prove my point here. It's pride. Let it go. Let those things go. A never give up kind of attitude. One that is an attitude and a mind that is developing like the mind of Christ works at getting along with others and agreeing with one another. And notice that what's that word that Paul says? Don't agree just in your own power and your strength. Agree in the Lord. Lean on the Lord to help you to agree with one another. You can't do it on your own. Relying on Christ to help you in this. It is following the example of Jesus like we looked at in Philippians 2 where Jesus laid down his rights and his privileges. Look at what he did in order to bring us salvation. Read the first part of Philippians 2. Read it every day. It is an incredible reminder of Christ laying down his rights so we could be free. That is the example we are to follow. You know what? You cannot have a joyful heart when you have a contentious spirit. You cannot have a joyful heart in the Lord when you're at odds with another person. You can't. You just can't. You can fake it. You can try. But your, your, your growth with the Lord and your true joy. Oh, you can have joy by then going out and buying something. You know, like what is it called? Uh, you know, um, what kind of therapy? Um, Retail therapy, you know, go, go, go buy something. Um, guys will go buy another golf, golf club or I was going to say golf course and probably not quite that, but, you know, go, go and buy another, you know, and, and, you know, I'll buy a new pair of shoes, I'll do this, you know, and, and, and these kind of things, you know, oh, those bring us temporary joy, but true joy does, I mean, your joy is affected when you are at odds with another person. You can't have true joy. You can't be developing the mind of Christ and growing and being transformed in the mind of Christ when you are relationally out with others. Christians and churches are weakened when there's relational strife. Families are weakened when there is strife like this. No power, no blessing. And that's why Psalm 133, you can just write down that in the first few verses there. It says, how good How good and how wonderful it is when believers get along in unity. That's my paraphrase of it. Um, But then it goes, it's there the Lord bestows a blessing, even life forevermore. And so Paul calls the church, these ladies, work it out and ask some of the church leaders to come alongside and to help in this. And that word help in there, when he says, and you help them, there's a sense of urgency, like get on this. Don't Don't let it simmer any longer. It's getting too ugly. Work it out. Come on. Don't let it simmer. Agree in the Lord. Learn from him. Learn from his humility. Let it go. You see, folks, here at Harvest, we don't want to just study God's word. And and as we go through the book of Philippians here, verse by verse, we just don't want to learn it in our heads. We just don't want to have good knowledge of it. It's important that we apply God's word. And I wonder even today, just personally, is there a person in your life that you are out of sorts with relationally? And something that you need to work out. Or something you just simply need to let it go. Just let it go. We want them to pay for what they did. We want them to suffer in the way that they made me suffer. And, and, and I want to... You know what? God's word says vengeance belongs to him. He will repay. He takes care. Let it go. But then there are times where you cannot resolve certain issues. You just can't have unity because it would be a fake or a false unity. 1 Corinthians 5.11 tells us that there are times when a person's refusal to follow God's word and 
and they're living in sin and rebellion towards God, that our relationship with them um, is, is not going to be close. In fact, sometimes our relationship has to even stop with that person in hopes that they will repent. That be, that's when it becomes very serious. When, when somebody is living in, in a way that is contrary to God's word, especially when it's another believer, and we warn them and we share with them from God's word, and, and at some point, after much prayer, an insight even from, from, from leaders in, in our lives that that relationship may have to stop for a period of time, hoping that they will repent and turn back to the Lord. Titus 3.10, there's some instructions there to church leaders to warn a person who is divisive. Warn the divisive person once, it says warn them a second time, and if they don't change, if they don't do anything about it, have nothing to do with them. That's a strong step, and it's, it's not to be done lightly. But it's to be done prayerfully and biblically that there are times that we do have to disagree. But most of the things that we get all hot and bothered about comes down to pride, preference, agendas. Let it go. Here's some, some questions maybe that you can consider when in facing certain conflict with people. First of all, is it, it's a question, is it a matter of opinion or preference? Is it just a trivial matter? Is it a matter of you just simply being right, getting your way? If so, let it go. Another question is, is it a matter, though, of biblical conviction? Can you turn to a verse in God's Word where it clearly and precisely speaks to the issue? If so, you need to share that with the person. Is it an area where perhaps you can just agree to disagree? Sometimes there are areas like that in life and even when it comes to the Word of God. There are times, I love the way one pastor explained it to me, I'll never forget it. He says there are certain open-handed issues and then there's closed-handed issues. Open-handed, you know what, there's, there's room for interpretation. There, there's, there's room for, for, you know what, just, just a different way of seeing God's Word. And, and some of those closed-handed issues, things that you cling tightly to though, are the non-negotiable. But some of the open-handed issues would be things like the return of Christ. There, there are believers who, who have different opinions and ideas of, of how things are going to, to, to work out. Um, I like what one person said. They're a pan-millennialist. They believe in the end it will all pan out. You know, and, and that's an easy way to, to, to do that. But there are different opinions that people will have in interpretations of God's Word. At times when it comes to spiritual giftings and, 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 and some of the gifts of the Spirit, there can sometimes be, you know what, different opinions when it comes to that and different it, interpretations of God's Word. In worship style, you're going to have some churches that, that worship very differently than, than other churches. Different churches will celebrate communion differently or at you know, at different frequencies, sometimes once a month. Some will do it every Sunday. These are, are open-handed issues, like the color of the carpet, o- open-handed issues, or, or the walls, you know. Thankfully, we don't have to worry about that at, at this point, you know. Oh, do you love the color of our plastic flooring? You know, we can't do much about it, so we can't fight about it. That's kind of nice. That's a nice open-handed issue. But some of the closed-handed issues, some of the things we are not going to, you know what, I mean, we're not going to change in are, are things like, the inerrancy of God's word. We believe that, this, that God's word is inerrant. It's not changing. It hasn't, doesn't need to change to, to suit our culture. Another one is, is creation. We believe in creation, not evolution or any form of evolution. The, God's word doesn't teach that. 
or the definition of marriage or the virgin birth or the trinity or the resurrection of Christ. There are people who would call themselves Christians who don't actually believe that Christ rose from the dead. We would have a disagreement there. We're not going to be able to agree on that sort of a thing. There are some that don't believe in the Trinity. We have a bit of a problem with that. God's Word teaches the Trinity. And so there are these open-handed issues. There are these closed-handed issues. But no matter where things go, it all needs to be done in love. Here's a quick little reminder. Forgive often. Apologize readily from the heart. Forgive often. Let it go often. Be ready to apologize from the heart when you do go across the line, when you do take things too far. So many conflicts could be avoided by just letting, letting our pride go, letting our reputations not be a major concern. Years ago, I still look back at times at some of the things you do in life, and years ago in, in a church where we are serving, I got into a relational issue with a lady in the church. You see, we were in a, in, in a fairly small sanctuary and the church was growing and, and, um, and we tried to encourage people to sit up closer to the front. <clears throat> you, you folks are doing well. Not a lot of empty seats still, but um, in, in the very front. But we tried to leave the back rows for, for people who, you know, maybe had small children, who were coming in late, who, you know, maybe, you know, j- just various reasons. And, and, and especially oftentimes some of the newer folks want to kind of slip in and slip out, and we wanted to allow them to do that. And so we tried different things to not have people sit in the very back rows of the church. And don't worry, we don't have any agendas here at Harvest like that yet. And um, anyways, so... We were trying, I was working with the ushers, they were frustrated because I'm like, you need to have some seats for the people at the back, and so they put some signs saying reserved, and well, that got ignored. And then we put reserved for parents with young children, and well, that got ignored. And, and, and then we tried ropes, we tried roping it off, and the ropes just got moved. Then they got smart and started tying down the ropes and knotting them from chair to chair so that it was hard to do that. But somehow, I don't know if they brought a jackknife or just what, but somehow it's just like, oh, you know. And, and, and I mean, the ushers were frustrated. They were coming to me and they were frustrated. And then there was one Sunday, there was a violator. And I saw her. It was before the service even started. And I'm like, there's all these extra rows. Why, you know. And so I thought, I'm, I'm going to go speak to her. And I probably didn't speak to her with the love that I needed to. And... Um, you know, just try to help her to understand what we are trying to do. And I probably, again, didn't explain it too well because I was a little bugged by it. And, and so I explained it to her, and she's, mm, okay. Mm-hmm. And then I walked away, and it was that ushers, you can pat me on the back. I dealt with a violator. You know, I'm thinking all of this, you know, like here I am taking it for the ushers, helping them out in this way. Well, the service was starting, and I looked for this lady, and I didn't see her. So I went out in the lobby and I thought, well, maybe she's just out there, you know, at regrouping to come sit in the back again or something. And, and um, I went to one of, the, one of the elders' wives. I said, hey, did you see this lady? And, and she said, um, yeah, she, she left. And she looked like she was crying. And I'm like, oh, get over it. So we go and we start singing and the Holy Spirit is just like, you can't get on that stage and preach after what you just did to one of my children in the way that you did that. Thankfully, we lived in a small enough town and I knew where she lived and I was able to drive over 
way across town, like two kilometers um, to her. And I left the service. And I just said to one of the elders, I'm out of here. I got to go make something right. And I went to her doorstep. And she was there. And she started crying. And I, I told her, I said, I am so sorry. And she says, Melden, I'm doing it because I have to leave three quarters of an hour into the service because I have to go to work. And I, I just needed to come into church late. She said, if you would have taken the time to listen. And I said, I'm sorry. She forgave me. She was back the next Sunday. Good relationship with her. That could have ended really ugly. I won. I was right. But I was so wrong in how I went about doing that. If you are wrong in the way that you are right, you are wrong even if you are right. Remember that, folks. That, it, that, that's worth the price of admission for today, I believe, in, in so many ways. And so depending on what you put in the offering, it will depend uh, what you got out of that, right? But... Um, Get along with others. You do it not for your sake. You do it for his sake in the Lord because he calls us to unity. He calls us to humble ourselves, to get along. We lose so much joy by exerting our rights. Look to Jesus who gave up his rights for you and for me. I think after what he did for us, we can lay down our rights and our agendas and our reputation and our ways of thinking. And perhaps you're here today and you've been hurt by others. Forgive them. Release them. Draw the strength. Do it in the Lord's strength. You can't release them. You can't forgive them in your own power, your own strength. And watch the joy start to return as you forgive and as you let it go and say, Jesus, in the way that you continue to keep forgiving me, I want to forgive them. And when their name and when that memory comes or if they do it again, you forgive them because that's what Christ keeps doing to us. We do it because of the gospel, what he has already laid out for us. And finally, never give up. Rejoice in the Lord. Never give up. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's just put that up there, please. Rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4, it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Look at what he says here. I mean, isn't this crazy? I mean, Paul, okay, maybe it was the fumes in the prison or something that was really getting to him. Rejoice always? Really? Rejoice in the Lord always? And then he, he backs it up. He says, and I say it again? Rejoice? Last weekend, we were away, had a, had a good little family getaway. Um, Charlotte and the kids went to some big youth conference, and uh, I didn't have to, thank goodness, uh, attend much of that because I still have my hearing because of it. Um, but last weekend, I met with an old friend and a former staff member that I worked with for a number of years, whose son, seven months ago, who was in his early 20s, committed suicide. Rejoice in the Lord always? You rejoice in that? Again, I say rejoice? This past week, I met with a guy who lost his job without warning, four young kids and a, and, and a wife to support, and, and the type of work that he does, he just can't go out and get another job in the same. He's got to sell his house. He's got to new, move to a new community. Rejoice? You're diagnosed with an illness? Rejoice? Chronic pain? Rejoice? Haunted by anxiety and fear? Rejoice? Rejoice about the prodigal in, in your life or in your family or the unsaved person that is totally destroying their life? And, and creating a path of destruction all around them? Rejoice in a job that you can't stand? Rejoice in a family that's hard, in a marriage that's struggling, that's, that's going through a hard season? Rejoice 
And Paul doesn't just say it the once. He says it. He backs it up. He says, I say it again, rejoice. No loopholes, no exceptions. Remember that song that we used to sing? And I was tempted because we have two sides here of, of singing it here, but uh, that could be really cheesy because we used to sing this song years ago at youth group and sometimes in church and one of those lighter nights, you know, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. And then they would keep singing it and then you would start and it would be this round back and forth and it was, rejoice, rejoice, you know, and it, I mean, it, it was it sounded pretty cool back then. Today, probably a little high on the cheese factor. So, you know, we probably won't do it, you know. But, you know, and, and, and so we would sing these songs. Easy to say. Easy to hear me say this. And yeah, 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 sure, Paul, Paul, you know, tell us to rejoice, rejoice. Well, how do we do that? Notice it says rejoice in. In what? Rejoice in the Lord. Yeah, there's a difference there. You see, our joy and our strength comes from him. It comes from what the Lord, and, and, and this is what we are to rejoice and encourage you to write down the, these three words. You're not going to get them up on the screen there. Rejoice in the past, rejoice in the present, rejoice in the future, okay? When it comes to what the Lord has done for us in the past, rejoice. When it comes to what the Lord is currently doing presently in your life, in, in the world, um, in our church, rejoice. When it comes to what he's going to do in the future by faith, rejoice because of what he's done in the past and because of his faithfulness in the past and his goodness in the present, we have confidence to rejoice in the future. Until the Lord Jesus Christ returns, which could be at any time or it could still be a long time, you will face stress at times that will be so intense you'll just have to lay down or you'll think that you're unsure if you'll be able to take another step. You will face attacks, you will face betrayals, you will face personal struggles, you will face relational discord, you will have sickness, you will have death of friends and family members that is going to be hard and difficult, even your own death. Let's close in prayer on that good note. No, we're not going to close yet because rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. It is these times that when we're facing this, we need to press into the fact, into the joy, into the wonder and the amazement of our salvation, what Christ has done, that Christ has redeemed us. We recall what he has done for us in the past. Listen to Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. If you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is what he has done for you. He has taken you, he has taken you out of the bog, out of the mess, out of the pile, and he has set your feet upon a rock. He has given you a song to be able to sing. He's made your steps secure. That is what he has done if we are in Christ. That's pretty amazing news. He's put a new song in our heart. We can sing songs of praise to him. That is what Christ has done. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoicing builds trust and confidence that God is faithful and he will see you through. Recall and remember God's faithfulness. Last Sunday, as Charlotte and the kids went to the big youth event Sunday morning, I sat in the church where we pastored for 14 years before moving to Kelowna five years ago. And all of a sudden that morning it hit me that it was actually five years to the very day plus a little check on the calendar it was five years to the very day that I stood on that stage and announced our resignation to move to Kelowna. 
And I'm telling you, there was a flood of different thoughts in being there and just seeing what God, to be a part of God's working there in 14 years and, 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 and the sadness on that day when we announced we were leaving and we, they commissioned us and, and, and loved us and yet some of them were angry at us for leaving and, and they got over it. I think some of them didn't talk to me still. No, I, um, And we never would have seen or imagined what the next five years would entail for us. Had no clue. And yet, I sit there and see God's faithfulness in the past, and then I see what he's doing in the present, and the giftings and the people and the blessings that he's brought into our lives over the last number of years. So many of you have just these impacting stories that have touched our lives, that have ministered to our family, that have given us reason to rejoice and to say, God, I'm going to trust you for the next five years. I'm going to trust you for the next 50 years. And that might be in my blood because the Lutzers tend to live pretty long. And so, you know, we're going to trust you in these kind of things. We will rejoice because you were faithful in the past. Look at what you're doing in the present in our lives. And we have to look and see the blessings that he brings into our lives every day. One is just driving around this lovely city and seeing the blessings that he brings here. We are blessed. Rejoice in that. He's not telling us to rejoice in the suicide and the cancer, to rejoice in, but rejoice in the Lord in what he has done, what he's going, going to do in the future, and what he's doing presently. And then look at in verse 5, and this brings our, our message almost to an end. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You see, when there is genuine rejoicing in the Lord taking place in our lives, the most immediate byproduct is Christ-likeness, reasonableness. Or another word to, to use in there instead of reasonableness, another way to understand it is gentleness. There comes a quiet confidence that God is in control. When you are rejoicing in the Lord, there's just that, this is the natural outflow that Things aren't going to be that big of a deal. Friday night, the Rockets were playing. And um, I wasn't able to watch the game. Charlotte and I went out um, together for a little while. And, and, and so I kept checking the score a number of times. And, and I recorded the game because I didn't want to miss it. And, and, uh, and at the end, um, when we were heading home, I saw, oh, they won 9-3. to three. It was so nice sitting on the couch, turning on the TV, going through the PVR. And, you know... Um, no, I already had popcorn and, and, and a drink earlier. And, and, uh, but I was just sitting there and hitting the forward button and, and just knowing that they won. It was, there was nothing intense about it because they won. I wanted to see the, the Quebec fans throwing all the junk on the ice and being all upset and everything. Wanted to watch that. Was able to review that a few times. Watch the beautiful goals that were scored. And it was just like, this is good. Now, if I'm watching the game live and I'm not sure if they're going to win, it's just like intense and, and it's like, hey, kids, quiet. You know, I'm trying to listen. You know, I have to, you know, I'm watching this. Get out. You know, like, who's distracting me? Turn the dishwasher off. You know, you're in this. But when we know that the victory is assured and we're rejoicing in the Lord in the past and what he's doing in the present and we know he's going to take care of us in the future, there's, there's kind of a, a calmness. And, and that calmness is, is shown in let your gentleness be shown to everyone. Everyone. Not just people we like. Not just people that make us happy or feel good. To everyone. People will tick us off. 
people will drive us crazy. But as we're rejoicing in the Lord and our eyes are fixed on him, there's, there's a reasonableness to us. Do we have a picture of that street view? Did I put that one in there? Yeah, this was a little, little example of um, how your pastor struggles. Um, this was Edmonton. This is a, uh, a well-known coffee place that, that I would frequent on Manning Drive. And, and I was coming kind of out of the lane. I should have brought my, my uh, pointer stick, but I didn't. But I was in the right lane turning into, this is from Google Maps, by the way, pretty cool you can find. And, and you come around the corner, and I was going to meet a guy at Tim Hortons. Well, exactly where that truck was, as I was coming around the corner, a car was coming out of the drive-thru just, and was basically right where that truck was. Just happened to, to be able to find this picture with a the guy there. And as I come around the corner, this car comes out in front of me, and right away, this guy is in the passenger su- um, seat, and his wife or girlfriend is driving, and this big, ugly dog is in the back seat with the window down. And this guy's honking at me. And, and so I kind of stopped there because he's blocking me. And I'm like, what's the problem, buddy? You know, and, and he's honking and he's like, you got to slow down. You got to be, you know, and I'm like, you're the one that came out, you know, uh, out of the, you know, little drive through there. And, and you're the one that should have maybe been a little more careful. And, you know, but I didn't, I'm thinking that. And, and he's mad and he has given me the one over. And all of a sudden I'm starting to think, People don't know me here. I could say, I could do, I could give this guy. Like, and I, there was a part, I looked at his girlfriend or his wife. I looked at the dog. I, I saw just a number of things that easily my evil mind all of a sudden could start to have some choice words. I mean, and, and all of a sudden I just smiled and said, I'm sorry. I'll try better next time. And that just kind of shut him up. And I said, have a good day. And I don't know if that almost made him more upset because I was smiling and, and I wasn't being like a jerk about it. I was just like, let your reasonableness be known to all men. Like, so what? Like, sorry, man. Like, it wasn't a big... Now, there was a little part of me afterwards within a few split seconds of driving. I was thinking, I could race around the corner through the parking lot. I wonder if he's going around there and I could just go wave to him. Like, my evil mind again. I was like, no, let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is... What's that last word? The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Let your, look at that, you better underline that. The Lord is at hand. The end of verse 5. See, most Bible commentators would say that that has a dual meaning, that, that word in there, the Lord is at hand, meaning the Lord's return could happen at any time, but the Lord is near. He is with his people. He is right there with me. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, we read in Proverbs. We rejoice that one day he returns, but Proverbs 19.20 tells us that Jesus is that friend that sticks closer to a brother. Psalm 23 is that reminder that even though when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for he is with me. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, let your gentleness, your reasonableness be evident to all because the Lord is near. His return is coming. He is with us. He is walking with us every day. And we will face hardship. We will face betrayal. We will face trials. Remember, the Lord is near. He is right there with you. Two weeks ago in Regina, my youngest brother had their second child. 
his wife, I mean, they are pumped. I mean, cute little kid. I mean, just rejoicing. Can't wait to see them a little later on this summer. And, uh, but but my, my sister-in-law, along like I think most other women that I have met that are pregnant or have had children, aren't like, oh, goody, can't wait for that labor and delivery. Just nothing better, you know, just then going in there and, and doing what I need to do and, and, and just nothing like the pain and the sweating and the yelling and the, you know, all of that, that, that. No one looks forward to the pain and the delivery, right? But you're looking forward to what's on the other side of that, holding that little one in their arms. That's what they're looking for. That is what we're hoping for. That's what we can't wait for. But it's that painful stuff that we must go through in order to get the good, in order to get the blessing, in order to, to be rewarded, if you want to say it in that way. There's always a blessing on the other side of that pain. And as we stand firm in the Lord, as we work at getting along with others in the Lord, and it's that rejoicing spirit because of the past, because of the present, and going into the future, we know that he has a bright future, an incredible future for us. And just ironically, at the same time that this little one was coming into the earth, coming onto the earth, um, an aunt of mine in Regina passed away after incredible pain over the last number of months of a brain tumor and held on for a number of weeks and it was just excruciating for the family and hard for them to watch that and, and uh, but she's at home. She's at home. And even now, I know in heaven, as she is rejoicing with Jesus and has her son, who she lost 30-some years ago, uh, near to her and, and is reunited with him, she's home. And she looks back at those last three weeks and the last six months of her life and, and how hard that was and say, it's okay. It's over. It's done. I wasn't so bad. Look at what I get. God is faithful. God is faithful. Never give up. Today, do you have a passion and a hunger? Are you standing firm or are you just kind of sitting around? Are you just standing still or is it that standing thus moving forward? A passion for the Lord. A passion for his word. A passion to to know him in a greater, in a greater way. How are your relationships with others? There's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. Is there someone you need to extend forgiveness to? Is there someone you need to just let it go? And how about the rejoicing? Are you taking time to reflect and rejoice on God's goodness? He's near and he's coming soon. Yesterday, Charlotte and I went for a little walk just, um, just down the street from our house. And, and here's just an example of God's nearness and his beauty of being able to just capture the beauty of his creation, reminder, the creator, the king of kings and lord of lords is near and he gives us these kind of beautiful scenes to remind us of his awesome power. And so now in closing, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing together um, how great thou art. We're rejoicing in his goodness and his power. And if there are steps that you need to take, if there's someone you need to speak to, if you would like prayer Speak to myself or to someone else that you know can pray with you and stand with you through what you're going through. We want to be here to love you, to care for you, and to see a never-give-up attitude within you because God has great and mighty plans for you, your family, for your future. Let's sing together.